for the Night is a podcast that discusses movies, random topics, and gives you an excuse to just stay in for the night. <coughs> Hello, my name is Katie, and I'm not as sick as I was last week. Hi. As he yawns, of course, he doesn't yawn all day, and now he just starts yawning. What's your name? Give it an update. Forgot. Uh, G-Dog Arena. And? And you, what? You had surgery yesterday. No, I didn't. If you can, see, if you're watching this video, you can see his arm sling thing. Yeah, I had to get surgery yesterday because of my stupid numbness in my left hand and palm. So, took some steroids, which kind of took away the pain and some of the numbness, but it just didn't get better. And it's been two months, over two or almost two months. And uh, so, had to get surgery and got it done yesterday. Yeah, it was an all day affair for me. Yep, got there like. 10 15 and didn't leave until four yeah that was a long day Mm -hmm. it was like five when we left because it was like the traffic was really bad like when we left there oh Mm -hmm. yeah so i guess i got out of surgery at four yeah so i had to do all the pre-stuff afterwards but they were really good they were really nice post post op shit Mm -hmm. and that place is like a maze and it's really big and it's stupid how big it is it is huge and they're just busy 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 all the time like right. that place is insane how busy they are and i asked the nurse or the i guess nurse but she was the person that was one of the people that was in the doctor's like operating room with them and uh, i was like do y'all get this nerve damage like um surgery a lot and they said yeah yeah so don't break your nerves yeah it's no fun i mean it's been painless so far like even getting the shots it was painless uh because i had to get a nerve blocker which was in my right above my collarbone here it was like here somewhere Mm -hmm. um and then which that was painless i thought it was gonna hurt a lot lot more but fucking didn't really feel anything and then uh even after surgery they, they did the nerve blocker because it helps with the pain after surgery that's why i had to get it Otherwise, it was going to be, I guess, more pain. So I'm glad I got that. And then uh, even after, it's so far my numbness is gone, but I still don't feel anything in my, like, pain-wise. So thank the heavens for that. And then today, he was like, oh, man, I can- it's cold. Like, why is it so cold? And he was like, oh, yeah, yesterday my arm was numb. Yeah, because I was icing. And they're like, yeah, you're supposed to ice it 20 minutes off, 20 minutes on. And I was like... <laughs> I don't feel any Take a shot. I don't feel any ice. Like I don't feel it getting cold at all. And I was like, is this even working? And we put ice on it like thirty minutes ago and I was like, Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I can feel it now. <laughs> so we had a very adventurous day. I have been sick all week, coughing, grossness, just all of it. I'm still like my throat still hurts now, but I'm here. So today, instead of having Lur or G Dogarino talk or read anything he is just going to pleasantly sit and put his two cents in because yeah i mean i can read my throat doesn't hurt yours does yeah it's okay because i didn't separate it i just put them all here so okay well give me half of it i just anyway so we watched the movie lisa frankenstein as we mentioned yet last week last episode and you want to read this at least Nah. okay all right i knew you were lying cold in here it is chilly in here so we have frankenstein lisa came out in 2024 uh 
6.6 out of 10 on IMD Bizzle. I mean, this movie did just come out. So it's, yeah, February 9th. So it probably like still has like, last that's probably going to range in like the next month or two. Um, we got 51% on Rotten Potatoes. That's like really bad. That's like half. A uh, little over half. A little over half. Uh, Synopsi. Penis peni. Sorry. A misunderstood teenager and a reanimated Victorian corpse embark on a murderous journey together to find love, happiness, and a few missing body parts. Uh, in a nutshell, strange, fantastic, and hilarious. Does it say hilarious or is it hilarious and you're just saying it wrong? Hilarious. Director is Zelda Williams. Release date was February 9th, 2024. And yeah, that's the runtime. So we got Catherine Newton, who is Lisa Swallows. <laughs> Why would they give her that name? It's so bad. Like, she's a virgin in the movie, too. And well, until she bangs her corpse, but or bangs the zombie. Uh, well, you just give or gave away the ending. Yeah, I did. Um, I mean, they should have seen it by now. We have posted it. Uh, we have Lisa Sobriano as Taffy. Cole like the, that's Sprouse. the girl's name, Taffy. 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 I mean, Taffy's are delicious. So we have Jenna Davis as Lori. Henry Eakenberry. Uh, Carla Giugiano. And Paula Andio as Misty. Great. Great. Okay. So there was just a bunch of new, I guess to me, new faces. I I knew Cole Sprouse because he was in The Sweet Life of Zach and Cody, but. I don't remember Taffy for many things. I don't remember Taffy. But the but movie Catherine itself. Newton, she's been in other things. Movie itself was okay, pretty good. It wasn't like the best. It was something different. I like how you're about to say okay, and then you said pretty good. So which one is it? Is it okay or? Pretty I think good? okay and pretty good are on the They're same level. They're not the same. So what? Pretty good is higher. Better than, than okay. I want to say between okay and pretty good, like the middle one. What's huh? between? What's, what's be- between? Yeah. Eh. <laughs> well uh, and is probably lower than okay i was expecting something different so it was not exactly what i was well, that's why thinking. you don't go watch a movie with expectations i just like in my like how they perceived it was different than what the final product was i mean i didn't see the i you saw the trailer i saw a trailer but i don't fully remember it but it's it's like a romance, kind of like Warm Bodies. That movie basically is Warm Bodies, but but it's not. But it's a zombie. Well, he's zombies a zombie. in that one too. Yeah, but he gets like electrocuted and he's brought back to life. And then I just, I don't want to give it away, but I have questions. But it's cute. I think it's more for like a teenage movie, not grown adults. And there was only two other people in the theater with us when we went. Yeah. That was kind of funny. But we went to a late showing, so there might have been more people. Mm-hmm. We might have just went to an earlier one or something. But. I mean, it wasn't a bad movie. Would I watch it again? No. but I would. Whenever it comes streaming. Yeah, you like love stories. I mean, I semi-do, but. And it like, has a little horror in it, and it's cute. And so, 
my score, we didn't give a lot of information because I don't want to give it away because it is a brand new movie and not a lot of people have seen it. Mm-hmm. Other movies that we have watched are easy to see on like streaming services so i don't want to like ruin it for y'all so that's why we're kind of keeping this part short because i don't want to ruin it um but i'm gonna give it an eight an eight wow i didn't think you were gonna give it an eight when you're like eh. it was okay it was I all right i didn't say all right pretty good oh all right so we have okay all right pretty good pretty good yeah all right the the middle there ground. we go we found it um i don't know seven comes to mind i knew you were gonna say seven so definitely go see it um i can you stop playing with your phone no (laughs) so we are um you can probably watch it on paramount and i think showtime that's those are two streaming services you can watch it at home but that's only if you are a member of it and you don't have to pay for it if you don't want to but and just wait for a little bit and then i'm sure it'll come on peacock soon so how can it already be on that it just came out i think Peacock gets like new movies really quick. I don't know why or how, but they do. And I like it. But all right. So that is our movie. Definitely go check it out. Um, Now, do you remember what our topic is? Nope. We're going to talk about Amelia Earhart. Oh, yeah. Chick that flew somewhere and disappeared. Mm -hmm. So this is really interesting. I thought it was going to be a short topic. It's shorter than our other ones, but... Um, very interesting. So my sites are uh, womanshistory.org, Britannica.com, and Wikipedia, obviously. And ballsacks.com? That did not come up this time. No, not this time. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's get into it. So we're just going to talk about her background really quick, which is kind of nice. Okay, so Amelia Mary Earhart, born on July 24th of 1897. Do you know what that makes her as a sign? Say again? Uh, July 24th. July twenty, July twenty fourth. Uh, it's uh, Gemini. No, that's mine, and that's I in know, June. but I thought that was into it's the twenty first to the twenty first of every month. July. So, oh, June, July, June come before July. <laughs> We're struggling. July folks. was after, or June was after. Uh, I'm so worried about him. <laughs> Leo. Yeah. Seriously? Yeah. Holy shit. How did you get that? That was a fucking I don't huge know. I guess. like I'm really bad at that and I always have to look it up, so I'm that not was even a huge <laughs> guess. All right, so we're going to do some Leo characteristics. Leos are known for being bold and charismatic. They love to interact with others and tend to be extroverted. This sign always wants to be seen and enjoys being in the center of the spotlight. Obviously, Leo tends to take leadership roles and even if they don't mean to. So, that's Pretty much. I'm a Leo. You're a Libra. I'm a Leo. All that was Leo. No. Or all of all of my characteristics are Leo. So Amelia was born and raised in Atchison, Kansas, and later in moved to Des Moines, Iowa. Earhart developed a passion for adventure at a young age, steadily gaining flying experience from from her twenties. So in her twenties. So she's the daughter of Samuel Edwin Stanton Earhart. Um, he was born in 1867, and he died in 1930. Oh, wow. He died before she disappeared. Oh, and Amelia Amy, uh, she was born in 1869 and died in 1962. So she was getting up there. She was almost mm-hmm. 100. And I, like, read something. Oh, how old would Amelia Earhart be today? She would be 126 years old. <laughs> I mean, she could reach that. It's possible. I think the oldest is, what, 115 or 110 or something? Something like that. If you 
take it from the Bible, they're like 800 years old. What? Yeah, people are like 800 years old in the Bible. How are they 800? Like people, people? Like, like human people, beings? yeah. They're not 800 years it old. It says it in the Bible, babe. All right, so she had a sister named Grace Muriel. Yeah, that's not true. Muriel. And then her, uh, she had a nickname, Mealy or Millie. Their upbringing was unconventional as Amy Earhart did not believe in raising her children to be nice little girls. <laughs> but their maternal grandmother disapproved of the bloomers they wore. So pants. Um, and although Earhart liked the freedom of movement they provided, she was sensitive to the fact that the neighborhood girls wore dresses. So she was wearing pants. Everybody else was wearing dresses because it was that that time. Mm-hmm. Um, during this period, the Earhart girls received homeschooling from their mother and governess. Amelia later recounted that she was exceedingly fond of reading. I'm just pausing. Yeah, because like you. So maybe you're the reincarnation of And Amelia. she spent countless hours in the large family library. Maybe you're a reincarnation of Amelia. Possibly. But I'm not a Leo. I'm far from a Leo. You're not far from a Leo. I think so. I don't want June, to... July, it's a month. No, I mean like oh, the, the characteristics. characteristics. Well, fuck yeah. Uh, during World War One, she left college to work at a Canadian military hospital where she met aviators and became intrigued with flying. Fuck yeah. After the war, Earhart competed, com- competed a semester, completed a semester at Columbia University, then the University of South California. So this bitch was like all over. And usually women didn't go to school like that. Mm-hmm. So... I say this bitch in like the most respectful way possible. Most nicest way possible. <laughs> With her first plane ride in 1920, she realized her true passion and began flying lessons with female aviator Nita Snook. Snook or Snook? Nita Snook. Oh, you said Snook. I was going to say Snooky and then I really had to like oh, correct don't. myself. On her 25th birthday, Earhart purchased a Kinner Airster biplane. She flew it in 1922 when she set the woman's altitude record of 14,000 feet. I can beat that. You can't even fly a plane. This is true. I can learn, though, pretty quick. There's a lot of buttons. There is a lot of buttons, but I use a lot of those buttons, too. Like, I know how to turn on engines. I mean... And the APU, and the only thing I just don't know is moving the plane itself. But like a person that has taxi qualification at at, at uh, like my job, they could they're damn pretty close to driving because they have to like you know drive Aren't the plane over to the. Aren't those people in those like truck things that push? No, I thought no Dude. the truck the people in the truck the tow people they only push the plane out the pilots and the taxi people actually you know start driving the plane around. How fast can a airplane go on the ground? That I don't know. Driving, they go pretty fast. I mean, I mean, when you to... land, you're going fucking 150 miles an hour or 100 miles an hour when you land, so they can go pretty fast. Interesting. Okay, with faulting, faltering family finances. Okay, try to say that three times fast. Falter family finances. Faltering family finances. So I just said faltering family finances. You're okay, welcome. Shut up. Shut up. She soon sold the plane. <laughs> when her parents divorced in 1924, Earhart moved with her mother and sister to Massachusetts and became a settlement worker at Denison House in Boston. 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 While also flying in air shows. So she had her side gig of flying shit. Um, Earhart married Putnam, 
1931. Putin? Putnam. Putnam. Putin. Putin. <laughs> Though she retained her maiden name and considered the marriage an equal par- partnership. So she was like one of those women who kept their name and she was like, I am badass. I'm not taking your name. Like there was like a story about this woman who kept her maiden name and somebody asked, she's a doctor and she, somebody asked her, well, why didn't you take your husband's name? And she's like, my husband didn't go to medical school. Why would I take his name? It's true. And I'm like, get it girl. Get it. Boo bear. Um, bear. So George Putnam was a publisher who pushed Earhart to become the first woman to cross the Atlantic by plane. I've already done that. Bitch. (laughs) Bitch. So have I, but I was a passenger. I didn't fly it. Have I flown on the Atlantic? Probably. Where is the Atlantic? You stuff you over there. Yes. (laughs) That's west. It would be east, so it's on the east coast. I know that's west. Well, because north and south runs the seventy-five, and then that's east. That's west. That's west. Yeah. You're you're turned. Wait. So you're left. That's east. Yeah, that's west. That's north. Yeah. I'm right. I said yes. You were you're just right. saying no, just to be contrary. Well, because I thought we we're because I was like, no, the way we're sitting in position in the house, it's probably different. But no, yeah, it's because we're facing that road and that goes east and west. Mm-hmm. All right, uh, let's talk about her achievements. So we got a little bit of her background. This bitch again, respectfully, bitch. Um, in 1928, Earhart became the first female passenger to cross the Atlantic by airplane, accompanying. Pilot Wilmer Stoltz. She's a, she was a passenger too. See, she, she, for she which she achieved celebrity status. Do you remember who also had celebrity status for flying shit? Uh, the guy that we talked about before. I don't remember his name. Lindbergh. Um, in 1932, piloting a Lockheed Vega 5B. Do you know what that is? Nope. Okay. That's a Lockheed Martin plane. Um, Earhart made a nonstop solo transatlantic flight, becoming the first woman to achieve such a feat. So she was solo. Um, she received the United States Distinguished Flying Across Flying Cross for this accomplishment. That's hard to read. Um, in 1935, Eric Hart became a visiting faculty member at Purdue University as an advisor to aeronautical engineering and a career counselor to female students. I read that without fucking up. You did. Congratulations. So Purdue purchased Earhart a Lockheed plane that she dubbed her Flying Laboratory. Oh, nice. They gave her a plane? Pretty much. She, she got a lot of planes. Like, they they funded her trips. Like, hmm. the one she That's pretty dope. disappeared on. She was also a member of the National Women's Party and an early supporter of the Equal Rights Amendment. Known as one of the most inspirational American figures in aviation from the late 1920s throughout the 1930s, I'm halfway through the 1930s. Wait, is this the chick that's in the pictures that's doing like this? No, that's Rosie the Riveter. Oh, fuck. Same era. Kind of thing, but uh, there's no pictures of her, Amelia Earnhardt. Yeah, there's there's pictures. She kind of looks like me. Now I want to like see a picture of her. Well, I can well, look it up while you're reading. Okay, you look it up. That's your side job. Exactly. Um, uh, inspirational American figures in you aviation. I believe in you. 1930s. Earhart's legacy is often co- compared to the early aeronautical career of career of pioneer aviator. Charles Lindbergh, dot, dot, dot. Ever heard of him? That's what I put in there. <laughs> as well as, uh, as well as figures, uh, two, f- 
my God, that's a really bad sentence. Uh, she was co- compared to Charles Lindbergh and the first lady, Eleanor Roosevelt, for their close friendship and lasting impact on the issue of women's causes for that period. So she worked hand in hand with Eleanor. I don't really remember seeing any pictures of her. For y'all, I don't know if y'all can see this, but that is good job, babe. Scared the shit out of me. Drop my phone. I scared the shit. Take out a myself. shot. <laughs> that scared me. Oh, now I gotta find. Okay, well, okay. I think this was it. Let's see if I can not drop it this time. And you drop it again. See, that's her. If y'all can see it. She like didn't give. You're fine. You, okay. you, you just keep on moving and you can't see anything. Um. So she. She. I thought she was pretty. She wore pants. Fuck she, no. Okay. <laughs> I compared her to me, so that's great. Thank Don't you. Don't do that. Because <laughs> you look way better than her. Thanks. You're All welcome. Right. <laughs> so let's get into the main event. Mm-hmm. The disappearance. Mm-hmm. I think already that it was probably because she was becoming too much an influence and she can easily fly a plane and you can, back then, it's not like that hard to sabotage planes. Possibly. We'll and someone it. took her ass. We have out. some theories. That's my theory already. Okay, great. Early in 1936, early in 1936, Earhart started planning a round trip round the world flight. Although others had flown around the world, her flight would be the longest at 29,000 miles. That's insane. Because it followed roughly the equatorial route, so on the equator. Mm-hmm. With the financing from Purdue. They just keep on tossing money at her. Here's a plane. Do you want another one? Here's Here you money. go. <laughs> Here's a man. Here's a man. Um, <laughs> in July 1936, a Lockheed Electra 10E. I look at you randomly for <laughs> I don't know plane this plane. Shit. This is back in the 1930s. So it's a Lockheed Electra 10E. Was built at Lockheed Aircraft Company to her specifications, which included extensive modifications to the fuel silage, to incorporate many additional fuel tanks. Oh, wow. It's the one, two, three. It's the fourth one down. Really? Just like, I guess other people have looked it up. And the Lockheed it's, Vega. It probably is listening to us. Probably. So this is the plane. I'm going to show you. Yeah. So it's I a, thought it was going to be smaller. Well, it's fairly big size. But that's the plane, folks. Lockheed something electra something, electri- 10e yeah electra 10e uh, so the th- <clears throat> what the really interesting part is amelia told the builders this is what she wanted so she had specific things specifications mm-hmm. specific specifications and they followed them which is crazy because women back then didn't do shit like this so she was awesome she was a badass um, they did a few test runs across the country. Originally, Earhart had Captain Henry Manning, Harry Manning, as her navigator, but he sucked donkey balls and was <laughs> and, and was always off. That's what I put. Um, so just kind of going back, he he he's a captain, like he flies planes, but his navigation skills are like the worst. He just he was always like thirty mi- like twenty thirty miles off, which is technically within the rounds like the realm of being accurate because you're never going to be a hundred percent back mm-hmm. then. So you just kind of had to go with it. But it was just her husband Putnam did not like this dude because he kept on like being off. So mm-hmm. they wanted somebody else. Um, 
Through contacts in the Los Angeles aviation community, Fred Noonan was subsequently chosen as a second navigator because there was were significant additional factors that had to be dealt with while using celestial navigation for aircraft. So God tier navigation? Celestial. celestial? I think it's like sun. Since when does celestial mean sun? Celestial is like fairies and ghosts. Yeah, it's... I don't uh, What know. is it? It's uh, celestial beings. Like aliens. Space. Are they? No, I think it's more like God people, isn't it? Like angels, demons. Sure. Aren't they celestials? Fuck. Now know. you can look at it. <laughs> your side job is to look shit up that we don't I know. I <laughs> gladly do that. All right. So Noonan was an experience. He was experienced in both Marine. He was a licensed ship captain and a flight navigator. So he had the extra, extra training. I was like extra. What? I was trying to like <laughs> get the word and I couldn't think of it. What is celestial? What is a celestial being? Let's just look at that. Celestial beings are a species of entities of the heavens, so I was right, skies and stars, as well as realms from above. So, celestial navigating has to do with the sky so above. So, let's do celestial... So, I was right, sun. Nav... Because sun's raises... Celestial some... navigation. Celestial navigation, also known as astro-navigation, is the practice of positioning, fixing, using stars and other celestial bodies that enables a navigator to accurately determine their actual current location uh current 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 physical position in space or the surface of the earth i'm not going to continue reading that but so i was right sun they can use the sun stars celestial you were right with the navigation i was right with celestial being great great all right. On March 17th of 1937, Earhart and her crew flew the first leg from Oakland, California to Honolulu, Hawaii. Um, due to. Like I don't know. Cause it's, Hawaii. Because it has the little like accent over it. And it's supposed to be pronounced Does like it? that. Yeah. The, uh, the first I. I've never seen it with an accent. I've always seen it just with I, I. But it's like. Hawaii. That's the way I say it. Okay, fine. I'm just trying to be respectful well, of. Well, you art. shouldn't. <laughs> just be disrespectful just, just be, be disrespectful. Like a piece of shit <laughs> due to lubrication mm, my anyway, favorite and galling problems <laughs> with the coconut pro- oil due to lubrication and galling problems with the propeller hubs variable pitch mechanisms the aircraft needed servicing in Hawaii okay. I, I, I'm just waiting to see if you knew, like recognized any of those words <laughs> Wait, servicing in Hawaii, yeah. I mean, no, well, the propeller hubs variable pitch mechanisms. Oh, well, that's... Uh, Isn't that the little up-and-down-y thing? Up-and-down-y thing? Like, how do you get up and down? Like, it's like the little flaps? No, I think that's... Say it again. I think that's on the engine Fucking itself. Hey, dude. All right. Just say the ending part again. The propeller's hubs variable pitch mechanisms. So the pitch I is have... going... Going no, up and down. Yeah, that's the pitch going up and down, but they're talking about the engine itself, the propellers. So the hub of that. Yeah, so like where it, where it rotates the, at, there's right. mechanisms in there. Okay. Ultimately, the Electra ended up at the United States Navy's Luke Field on Ford Island in Pearl Harbor. The flight resumed three days later from Luke Field with Earhart, Noonan, and Manning on board. So we still have Manning, the dumbass. Noonan's the new guy. And... Earhart, obviously. Propeller. <laughs> You're not listening, are you? I am, sort of. Propeller, what? 
I want to look it up now. Propeller. Pro- Hubs variable pitch mechanism. Hubs variable. I thought I thought that's the thing that makes the plane go up pitch. now. Here we go. Nope, it's on the engine. Oh, stupid. Uh, a variable pitch propeller is a type of propeller air screw with blades that can be rotated around around their long. Why does it stop there? That's stupid. No, not what is the advantage? So, but yeah, it's it's a propeller pitch, so it's on the engine itself. Okay. So, the flight never left Luke Field. During the takeoff run, there was an uncontrolled ground loop. The forward landing gear collapsed. Both Mm. propellers hit the ground. The plane skidded on its belly, and a portion of the runway was damaged. Jeez. They, like, took out the runway. So, with the aircraft severely damaged, the flight was called off. Because it can't get in the fucking air. And the aircraft was shipped by sea to the Lockheed Burbank facility for repair. So Burbank, I think, California. Mm -hmm. Um, Manning, having taken a leave of absence to do the flight, felt that there had been too many problems and delays. He ended his association with the trip, leaving only Earhart and Noonan, neither of whom were skilled radio operators. (laughs) So that was their first fuck up. Mm -hmm. All right. So from March... To like, they just stopped. They were like, okay, we can't obviously fly this fucking plane. Let's just chill. Let's get it fixed and mm-hmm. go from there. So that brings us to June 1st of 1937. Uh oh. Dun dun dun. That's when she goes missing, isn't it? Uh, that's when she starts the second oh. attempt. Okay. So Earhart set out to fly around the world with Fred Noonan as her navigator in a twin engine Lockheed Electra. So that's the plane that we just saw. It's now fixed. They began their 29,000-mile journey departing from Miami and headed east. So they went from Burbank. They flew it to Burbank to Miami, and then they considered Miami their first location. Like, Mm. that's where the start was, even though they technically flew across the country. They're not counting that. So technically, we're going to fly further, technically. Technically. Um, So Fred Noonan... So they're flying east across the Atlantic to start. Just giving you a graph, what geographical thing. I mean, not really going to help. But. So Fred Noonan <laughs> was Earhart's only crew member. So it was just the two of them. Uh, the pair departed Miami on June 1st. And after numerous stops in South, uh, South America, Africa, the Indian subcontinent, and Southeast Asia, they arrived at Ley, New Guinea. I'm probably pronouncing that wrong. On June 29th of 1937. Mm-hmm. Okay. Over the following weeks, they made various refueling stops before reaching Ley, which I just said on June 29th. At that point, Earhart and Noonan had traveled some 22,000 miles already. Jeez Louise. Mm-hmm. They're almost done. Well, they like had to go up and down. Like, like they went down. Because they went from Miami. Miami down to South America. And then they brought went back crossed mm-hmm. and then they went to africa and then they went to india and then say, they... these engines they're like old and they need like uh what is it engine or maintenance maintenance and shit on them like a lot of maintenance on them so it's crazy that they're trying to fly that they're not flying straight though they're stopping again i know but I, I hope they're doing they're something yeah. yeah okay so on july 2nd of 1937 so they landed in lay on the 29th of June, they waited a few days. And then on the 2nd of 1937, at 10 in the morning, 
Midnight GMT, doesn't matter, Earhart and Noonan took off from Lay Airfield in the heavily loaded Electra. It's like every time I say Electra, I think of Carmen Electra. I know, I think, yeah. <laughs> they flew um, Carmen Electra. They're flying her around. Uh, their intended destination was Howland Island, a flat sliver of land 6,500 feet long and 16 hundred feet wide 10 feet high and 2556 miles away from lay Mm -hmm. so it's very tiny like i I, I don't understand how they could reach oh maybe they have oh that makes sense they had fuel in the airplane that they would have to take out and put in the plane so that's that why they're flying heavy yeah, so that's why I was like, I got lost. I'm like, why would they go to this tiny little island that has nothing there? And how are they going to refuel? But the fuel's already in the plane. Mm-hmm. I'm just that stupid. That makes sense then. I'm stupid. Okay. The flight was expected to be arduous, especially since the tiny coral atoll was difficult Fifi, to locate. Go lay down. She's just. No, okay. she's trying to, like, he's hey, just trying to get by. All right, take a shot, everybody. Okay, to help with the navigation, two brightly lit U.S. ships were stationed. She goes out. Sorry, folks. Sorry, Fifi likes to. We have food in here because we ordered a bunch of dog food and treats off of Chewy's, and we're storing it in here. And Fifi likes to protect it like it's hers. So whenever a dog comes around it. She will, like, not let them near it. So Yeah, it's really annoying. Sorry, we had to kick her out. Okay, so this island is tiny. They had to refuel. If it's so tiny, I'm like, how would they have enough space to take off? Yeah, 6,500, like, feet is way long enough. Yeah, but if they land, they have to land, and then they have to... I mean, they can taxi it around mm-hmm. and take off back the way they Maybe. came or whatever. Okay. Uh, to help with the navigation, two brightly lit U.S. ships... Uh, were stationed to mark the route. Earhart was also in intermittent radio contact with the... Uh, it, I don't know how to pronounce it. Itasca? Sure, yeah. A U.S. Coastal Guard <laughs> cutter near Howland. So since it was such a small island, they had these two ships hanging out just to kind of light the path. Mm-hmm. Sure. The expected flying time was ar- about 20 hours. Gross. Yeah. So accounting for the two-hour time zone difference between Ley and Howland and crossing of the international dateline, the aircraft was expected to arrive at Howland the morning of the next day, 2nd of July. So time difference just... I can't imagine flying that plane for 20 hours. The aircraft departed Ley with about 1,100 gallons of gasoline. It should be pounds. They don't do gallons. Does it say gallons? It says gallons. I don't know. I think it's just in it. They just wrote it down. It's probably like way more poundage, but they just did it. Yeah, they do. They do fuel in pounds. Okay. So that was supposed to be. I think I say that later. Never mind. Okay. So the the Itasca Itasca radio log position one uh, arrived at seven thirty to seven forty a.m. States. Earhart on Northwest SEZ running out of gas only half hour left. Can't HR us at all. We HR her and are sending on 3105 ES 500 same time consist constantly. Const- yeah, constantly. So they can't hear them. Mm-hmm. That's part of the problem. 
Hmm. So the the ship can hear the plane, but the plane can't hear the ship. So that sucks. So then a few minutes later, another radio log. Done trying to say that. K- oh my god. Okay. K H A Q Q. That's that was the label for Earhart's plane. Mm-hmm. C L N G. Itasca. We must be on you, but cannot see you. But gas is running low. Been unable to reach you by radio. We are flying at one thousand feet. Wait, are they trying to land on this ship? They're trying to land on the island. Oh, the ship is there just to show where they are at, but it's like really cloudy apparently, and so they didn't do it. Mm. <laughs> Okay. In her last known transmission at 8.43 a.m., Earhart broadcasted, we are on the line 157-337. We will repeat this message. We will repeat this message on 6110 kilocycles weight. Do I know what that means? No. I don't know what that means. I am not a pilot. However, a few moments later, she was back on the same frequency with a transmission that was logged as questionable. We are running on line north and south. So uh, they changed direction. They're going north and south rather than east to west. Oh, I was like, how do you go north and south at the same time? <laughs> um, that was the last transmission received by the Itasca, the ship. Beginning approximately one hour after Earhart's last recorded message, the USC GC Itasca undertook an un ultimately unsuccessful search north and west of Howland Island based on initial assumptions about transmissions from the aircraft. The plane was believed to have gone down some 100 miles from the island. So they were so close. Yeah. Um, Assumingly. Uh, From the island, and an extensive search was undertaken to find Earhart and Noonan. However, on July 19th of 1937, so barely two weeks later, like... Just a little over two weeks. The operation was called off and the pair was declared lost at sea. So, mm. like, deuces. Well, deuces. I mean, they look for two weeks. Right. Do you know how much that search cost? A million dollars. At four million, the air and sea search by Navy and Coast Guard was the most costly and intensive in U.S. history up to that time. But search and rescue techniques during the era were rudimentary, and some of the search was based on erroneous assumptions and flawed information. So they weren't exactly sure where she was, so they were pretty much just grasping at straws. Mm -hmm. Um, Immediately after the end of the official search, Putnam her husband, financed a private search by local authorities of nearby Pacific Islands and waters, uh, concentrating on the Gilberts. So the Gilberts is an island, group island. Throughout the trip, Earhart sent her husband... Okay, so this is just a cute little note. Uh, Throughout the trip, Earhart sent her husband various materials, including letters and diary entries, and these were published in a book called Last Flight. It was in 1937. Um, back in the United States, Putnam acted to become the trustee of Earhart's estate so that he could pay for the searches and related bills. So she was already, she was flush with cash. And so he Mm -hmm. technically didn't have money. And so he's like, well, fuck, I am now her trusted, what is it, trustee? Mm -hmm. Um, related bills in probate court in Los Angeles, Putnam requested to have the declared death in absentia seven-year waiting period waived so that he could manage Earhart's finances. Wait, what? So this is actually a real rule. Um, If somebody disappears, that's called death in absentia. So if, let's say, you disappear 
and I don't hear from you and there's no evidence that you actually died. If for in seven years, I can de- declare you dead. And so you had to wait seven years. Mm-hmm. So that's why he's asking it wow. to be waived so that he could manage her finances because mm-hmm. like it's just hanging out there. It was after two years, I believe. Um, as a result, Earhart was declared legally dead on January 5th of 1939. So two years later, roughly. Damn. Took two years to do that? Uh, maybe a year and a half. Um, so that's the disappearance. Now, this is my favorite part. We're going to talk about theories. I already said mine. Well, you're wrong. But it, yeah, it wasn't. It doesn't seem like that was a sabotage thing at all. So, Okay. So... First theory, theory number one, some have suggested that Earhart and Noonan survived and landed elsewhere, but they were either never found or killed, making en route locations like Tarawa unlikely. Proposals have included that uninhabited Gardner Island, 400 miles from the vicinity of Howland, the Japanese-controlled Marshall Islands, 870 miles at the closest point of Mili Atoll. Sure. (laughs) <laughs> and the Japanese-controlled northern Mariana Islands, about 2,700 miles from Howland. So, really, they should, if they were en route and where they thought they should have been, about 100 miles away from Howland, they would not have had enough fuel to reach 2,700 extra oh, no. miles. Yeah, they're already low on fuel. Okay, so that's just the first series. But like, the fact that they couldn't hear the ship, maybe they weren't as close to the ship as they thought they were. I'm not sure if this is in here. But you said the ship heard them, but they couldn't hear the ship. Right. So there, I don't know if I put it in here in one of the theories because that, that kind of cuts one of the theories down. But the ship doesn't have long wave radios. They just mm-hmm. have the short wave. So being a short wave, they can't, like, they can't be too far away. Mm-hmm. So that's why they're thinking, okay, they had him close enough so that we could hear him. So I think it's like... 100 miles or something they could be in like if it's outside of 100 miles they wouldn't be able to hear them but the ship could hear them exactly they were close okay so so that's why they were just like it is what it is um so the next theory is a crash and sink theory that's i mean yeah many researchers believe that Earhart and noonan ran out of fuel while searching for highland island ditched at sea and died Mm -hmm. pretty short and sweet but the plane would have carried enough fuel to reach Howland with some extra to spare. The extra fuel would cover some contingencies such as headwinds and searching for Howland. So they put extra on there. That gives them, like a, I think, a couple extra hours or something of fuel. So running out of fuel was kind of a little questionable. So they don't really know. The plane... They don't know how much fuel they... No one knows how much fuel they put on in that island. Mm-hmm. But it was only them two there. Right. But when they were at Leh in Papua New Guinea, or New Guinea, they there was people there helping them. Yeah, but then they get fuel after that? No. They went from Leh and then they were going to Howland Island. So between those two points. Wait, I'm a little confused here. I thought the last landing spot was when they fueled it themselves. When we were talking about them landing on that 6,500. That's, that's Howland Island. Island. They never made it there. That's where they were going to. Oh, so the last time they got fuel, there was people there with them. They were carrying fuel, though. Yes. They were carrying extra fuel so that when they landed on that tiny island, they would take the fuel from inside the plane yeah. and put it on the outside. So you're saying when they were at that other island, they got extra fuel there? Yes. Oh, okay. I thought you were saying they were taking the fuel that they had in the plane and was putting it 
fueling the plane while they were flying. I was like, they can't do that. I, I no, I, they have. <laughs> that's why they have to land the plane. Yeah. Okay. I'm. A, I thought they landed on that 6500 island. I thought they're they were trying going to, to another like a small island. Oh no, they they were trying to get there to refuel. Gotcha. Okay, so between those two points, they disappeared. Yeah. Okay. The plane could fly a compass course toward Howland through the night. In the morning, the time of the apparent sunrise would allow the plane to determine its line of position. From that line, the plane could determine how much further it must travel before reaching a parallel sun line that ran through Howland. Celestial navigation. Mm -hmm. I should have just said that. Celestial navigation. Yeah, celestial navigation. All right. So at 6.14, the Itasca time, uh, Earhart estimated they were about 200 miles away from Howland. So at 6.14, that's where they were supposed to be. As a plane closed with the island, um, so as they approached the island, it expected to be in radio contact with the Itasca. With the radio contact, the plane should have been able to use radio direction finding uh, to head directly to the Itasca and Howland. So that's why they were close, but they couldn't hear. Mm -hmm. uh, the plane could not hear the ship. I wonder why the plane couldn't hear the ship. That's weird. It, there's there's like a big thing, like a paragraph. I was not about to do it because it was so technical, but it was like there was like the equipment on board was like damaged. That's my guess. That, yeah. That's the only thing it can be. Otherwise, they should be able to hear them. So the plane was not receiving radio signal from the Tasca, so it would have been unable to determine a retros uh, res respective RDF bearing. So, so I guess they never tested their comms i guess because i mean they didn't, they didn't talk to anybody yeah they were just flying they were around just flying around they didn't need to they talk didn't to need anybody. to talk to anybody until then i think like they should have changed it like location to be somewhere else not on a tiny ass island that you could possibly miss but that was like their route i guess they probably would have landed but you said it was cloudy from what so although the itasca was receiving hf radio signals so high frequency radio signals from the plane it did not have high frequency radio equipment so it could not determine a bearing to the plane. Almost no communication was transmitted to the plane. Consequently, the plane was not directed to Howland and was left on its own with little fuel. Presumably, the plane reached the parallel sun line and started searching for Howland on that line of position. So assuming that they did that, that's how they got to that point. Mm -hmm. At 742, Earhart reported, we must be on you but cannot see you. But gas is running low, have been unable to reach you by radio we are flying at 1000 feet so 1000 feet's not yeah, that's not high at all that isn't it like proven that if you fly at lower altitudes it takes more gas mm -hmm. you fucked up and in those propeller engines they burn gas mm -hmm. at 8 43 a.m Earhart reported we are on the line 157 fuel not gas yeah one 157 337 we will repeat this message we will repeat this on 6210 kilocycles wait again i just repeated that but Earhart's low on fuel message at 742 a.m and her last confirmed message at 843 her signal strength remained consistent indicating that she never left the immediate howland area as she ran out of fuel so she had to be in that realm mm. that just sucks you're just that like sucks. that you're like close right there. British aviation historian Roy Nesbitt interpreted evidence in contemporary accounts in Putnam's correspondence and concluded that Earhart's Electra was not fully fueled at Ley. So they thought it was, but it wasn't. 
There it is. Earhart's stepson, George Putnam, uh, George Palmer Putnam Jr., has been quoted as saying he believes the plane just ran out of gas. (laughs) 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 So nonchalantly. Earhart biography author Susan Butler posits that the aircraft went into the ocean out of sight of Howland Island and rests at the seafloor at a depth of 17,000 feet or five kilometers. What? It sunk down that far? Mm -hmm. You're not going to find that. In 2024, this year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I was just i was waiting <laughs> i was waiting for an, like a reaction but you didn't give me anything it's this year <laughs> deep sea vision a charleston south carolina company that operates unmanned underwater vehicles found via sonar what appears to be the remains of an airplane on the ocean floor the object shaped like the electra was detected by the human submersible sixteen thousand feet below underwater and with a within 100 miles of Howland Island. Bam, that's it. More exploration is necessary to confirm whether this is Earhart's missing aircraft. And their bodies. So, like, in the first two months of this year, they found it, technically, maybe, possibly. Yeah, fucking, what, 100 years later? Almost. Not even, like, nine years later, but we're close. Nine years? 90. Oh, I was like, my math is not that far off. All right, so that is the crash and sink option which that hella sucks that yeah. sucks oh, like, like so hundreds. close you're like you can taste it i can almost put my feet in the sand and then just should they should have checked their their my question, okay so the the island is only 10 feet above the ocean that's not that high yeah. it's not that high so i'm wondering with the weight of the airplane would that have like sunk because it's sand. Can you really fly a plane off sand? That could have, I like... I mean, technically, yeah, but no, because... It would sink. It's going to sunk. It's gonna, Well, for one, the sand, it's going to suck into the engine. Right. Because that's how so they So that was, go. like, a really poor plan. That They probably wouldn't even be able to take off from there, I'm assuming, unless that sand was just, like, you know, embedded or wet to where it wasn't, like, you know, blowing mm-hmm. around. That would oh. suck into the engine. What were you going to say? Uh oh, so you were saying that the see, like, it's just like a little kidney. Yeah, that's probably all sand. They, that, yeah, they, they would have fucked that. That would they would that would have fucked up their engine. They probably wouldn't even be able to leave. Oh, or it's they, in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. Or if they did leave, it would probably mess up their engines to where that they start flying. It's going to cause engine okay. damage. This one has like more grassy. That looks more grassy. Yeah, now maybe not then. Uh, or it could have been then, but um, it probably has rocks and stuff too. Either way, they probably got something sucked into the engine because um, no one's there to like maintain. It's it. mostly sand. And it's not an actual runway. Yeah, that that would not have been good. Um, so on the ship or the f- aircraft had high frequency communication. Mm-hmm. Which one or both? The aircraft had it. Ship did not. So that's why they couldn't hear the ship. Yeah, because they didn't have the any way, means yeah. because the radio that they were supposed to be using wasn't working, so they used the high frequency instead. So the ship had a damaged radio, probably. Mm-mm. They just didn't have it. They, so Earhart's okay, so, other frequency they couldn't use? So she had high frequency in the plane, which mm-hmm. was working because they could hear her. But they can hear it on a radio. Like if we turned it on the right station, we would get it too. They had it on the right station. So then she 
they couldn't respond back to her because they, they don't have that communication available, like that that equipment to respond. Yeah. So they heard it on the radio, but they had no way to co- like. So they didn't have high frequency to respond back. Correct. They had so different it's a types. Fault. So, yeah, let's blame them. All right. So theory three. Theory three. Ah, my butt. Okay. Gardner Island hypothesis. The Gardner Island hypothesis assumes that Earhart and Newton, unable to find Howland Island, would not waste time searching for it. Instead, turning to the south to look for other islands. I mean, you shouldn't have even tried to land on this fucking island in the first yeah, place. Yeah, shouldn't have tried to land on that I'm island. I'm stupid. All right. So the 157-337 radio transmission suggests they flew a course of uh, 157 degrees that would take them past Baker Island. If they missed this, then sometime later they would fly over uh, the Phoenix Islands, now part of the Republic of Kiribati. Never heard that before. Um, about 300, 350 nautical miles or 650 kilometers south, southeast of Howland Island. So that one could have been a possibility. Mm-hmm. Probably any other island besides the one they were trying to land on would have been a better possibility. One of the Phoenix Islands known as Gardner Island, now Nikumaroro. That was good. Tried. Nikumaroro. Nikumaroro. Roro. Uh, has been the subject of inquiry as a possible crash landing site. A week after Earhart disappeared, Navy planes from the USS Colorado, which had sailed from Pearl Harbor, searched Gardner Island. The planes saw signs of a recent habitation and the November and the November 1929 wreck of the US uh, the SS Norwich City, but did not see any signs of Earhart's plane or people. So they didn't see anybody there. Um, in December of 1938, laborers landed on the island and started construction on a settlement. In late 1939, USS Bushnell did a survey of the island. So they're still looking for her just kind of while they're in the area, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> but guess what? What? On April, around April 1940, a skull was discovered and buried. But British colonial officer Gerald Gallagher did not learn of it until September. <coughs> so from April to September, he didn't learn about there's Oh, there's a body parts here. <laughs> Where was this at? Uh, on Gardner Island. So the, anybody's body part. Right. Gallagher did a more thorough search of the discovery area, including looking for artifacts such as rings. So if the body decomposed, obviously the clothes would be there rings whatever they were wearing that day she was married so she had a wedding ring blah 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 the search found more bones a bottle a shoe and a sextant box under a tree on the island's southeast corner so a sextant is used for navigation Mm. it's like the little pokey thing Mm -hmm. on september 23rd of 1940 gallagher radioed his superiors that he had found he had found Nah, fam. You, everybody else found it. And you didn't even know about it until September, <laughs> dude. All right. He had found a, a skeleton, possibly that of a woman. Although, uh, along with an old-fashioned sextant box, uh, later revealed to have been left during a recent hydro, hydrographic survey. That was hard. The box had two apparent serial numbers on it. 3500 and 1542. In October 20, 
2018, documents discovered at the National Archives and Records Administration showed that the USS Bushnell had a Brandis and a Sons sextant. Brandis and Sons sextant. That's hard to say. With <laughs> USNO serial number 1542. So it matched. They had the same type of sextant. A Brandis and Sons sextant with serial number 3500 uh, would have been made around the time of World War One. So... There you go. Gallagher started stated that the bones look more than four years old to me, but there seems to be a be very slight chance that this may be the remains of Amelia Earhart. I just like to stop here. They completely forgot about Noonan. Yeah. They completely. just were like her body. That was it. That was it. Like she was the only so, one flying. So this is like what really kind of irks me because I'll I'll go into it in a minute. All right. He was ordered to send the remains to Fiji. So the remains went to Fiji. So on on 4th of April of 1941, Dr. D.W. Hoodless. Hoodless. Of the Central Medical School, later named the Fiji School of Medicine, examined the bones, took measurements, and wrote a report. Hoodless concluded that the person was about five feet, five and a half inches tall. Hoodless wrote that the skeleton could be that of a short, stocky, muscular European or even a half caste or person of mixed European descent. Not Earhart. Pretty much not. (laughs) Earhart, uh, Earhart's 1930 pilot's license states she was five feet, eight inches tall. Okay, so she's taller than that. About two and a half inches, but Mm -hmm. like... But don't they have the skull? Can they just check dental records? Or they did not have that shit back then? Probably not. Mm. I mean, you just put in, like, Novocaine in people and rip their teeth out. They don't really care. Novocaine? What? I was just saying, like, back then, it's like nobody cared. Oh. All right. Hoodless also wrote that it may be definitely stated that the skeleton is that of a male. Mm. Noonan! Yeah. (laughs) But Noonan was taller, so it probably wasn't him. Owing to the weather-beaten condition of the, all the bones, it is possibly to be dogmatic in regard to the age of the person at the time of death. But I am of the opinion that he was not less than 45 years of age and that probably was older, saying between 45 and 55. Mm-hmm. While Amelia, during the time of this flight, she was under 40 years old. Mm-hmm. Hoodless offered to make more detailed measurements if needed, but suggested that any further examination be done by the Anthropological Department at Sydney University. Guess what? What? Before they could send him, these bones were apparently misplaced in Fiji and presumed lost. Of course. (laughs) (laughs) So that's pretty much that theory. So Gardner Island was a big theory possibility, but there's no real evidence of it because even the skeleton that they did find was more so... He uh, hoodless deemed a male, mm-hmm. and fingers were crossed, and everybody was hoping, but nothing happened. Do you want to listen about theory number four? I mean, we have it, so might as well. <laughs> Japanese capture theory. All right, so another theory is that Earhart and Noonan were captured by Japanese forces, perhaps after somehow navigating to somewhere within the Japanese South Seas mandate. In 1966, CBS correspondent Fred, I wasn't say Groner, but Gorner, published a book claiming that Earhart and Noon were captured and executed when their aircraft crashed on the island of Saipan, part of the northern Mariana Islands archipelago. 
Saipan is more than 2,700 miles away from the Howland Islands. However, later proponents of the Japanese capture hypotheses have generally suggested the Marshall Islands instead, which will still distant uh, with which, while still distant from the intended location, about 800 miles, it is slightly more plausible. So they didn't have enough gas to get them to an island that was like 200 miles away. How are they going to fly 2,700 miles out of of their way? That's some BS. So in 1990, the NBS series Unsolved Mysteries broadcasted an interview with a Saipanese woman who claimed to have witnessed Earhart and Noonan's execution by Japanese soldiers. No independent confirmation has ever emerged for any of these claims. Various purported, I hate that word, photographs of Earhart during her captivity have been identified as either fraudulent or having been taken before her final flight. So I looked at this picture and it it could possibly be be them. Like she's like sitting on a dock and this dude's standing there like looked haggard, but I'll show it to you later. Okay. All right. So that's that theory. But then we have theory number five, which is a slightly different Japanese theory. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Okay. A slightly different version of the Japanese capture hypothesis is not that the Japanese captured Earhart, but rather they shot her down. I was going to say that too. Uh, Henry Kaiser Andre, a former Pam and Pan Am Pan Am pilot, okay, had his view. I'm just changing the words. I can't say. In 19, his 1993 book *Age of Heroes: Incredible Adventures of Pan Am Pilot and His Greatest Triumph: Unraveling the Mystery of Amelia Earhart*. Okay, let's like stroke my own ego, fucker. <laughs> Since the end of World War II, a location on Tinian which is five miles southeast of Saipan, had been, rumored, had been rumored to be the grave of two aviators. In 2004, an archaeological dig at the site failed to turn up any bones. So, nah. <laughs> nah, fam. A recent proponent of the series is Mike Campo, who published the 2012 book, Amelia Earhart, The Truth at Last in Its Favor. Okay. Oh. The truth at last in its favor. Okay. Campbell cites claims from Marshall Islanders to have witnessed a crash as well as U.S. Army Sergeant who found a suspicious gravesite near a former Japanese prison on Sa- in Saipan or Saipan. A number of Earhart's relatives have been convinced that the Japanese were somehow involved in Amelia's disappearance, citing unnamed witnesses, including Japanese troops and Saipan natives. According to one cousin, the Japanese cut the lock. Hey, quiet. Sorry, everybody, take a shot. Uh, the Japanese cut the Lockheed Electra into scraps and threw the pieces into the ocean to explain why the airplane was not found in the Marshall Islands. So they just cut it up to strap and we're like oh here's the ocean i'm sure they had cutting plane abilities back then right in 2017 a historical channel documentary called amelia Earhart: the lost evidence proposed that a photograph in the national archives of jaluit atoll in the marshall islands was actually a picture of of a captured Earhart and Noonan. This picture showed a Caucasian male on a dock who appeared to look like Noonan and showed a Caucasian, uh, showed a female sitting on the dock but facing away from the camera who was judged to have a physique and haircut resembling Earhart's. 
The original source of the photo was a Japanese travel guide published in October 1935, implying that the photograph was taken in 1935 or before, and thus would be unrelated to Earhart and Noonan's 1937 disappearance. Mm -hmm. So, bust. All right, so those are the main theories. Now we're just going to get to myths, legends, and claims. So, since it's such like a out there thing... Dogs are chewing on stuff, so if you hear squeaky stuff, that's them. So since it was kind of mysterious, they never found evidence. They never mm-hmm. found the plane. Their like rumors were spreading about what was actually happening. So this is kind of where we go from there. And these are like my favorites. So in actuality, Amelia Earhart was a spy for FDR. That's a theory. Or a myth, whatever. So it was the World War II era movie Flight for Freedom. Um, is a story of a fictional female aviator, obviously inspired by Earhart, who engages in a spying mission in the Pacific. The movie helped further a myth that Earhart was spying on the Japanese in the Pacific at the request of Franklin Delano Roosevelt administration. So, remember, she was really good chums with his wife. So, possibly? I highly doubt it. Maybe. All right. Then, we are going on to the Tokyo Rose a rumor that claimed that Earhart had made propaganda radio broadcasts as one of the many women compelled to serve as Tokyo Rose was investigated closely by George Putnam. According to several biographies of Earhart, Putnam investigated this rumor personally, but after listening to many recordings of numerous Tokyo Roses, he did not recognize her voice among them. What is a Tokyo Rose, you might ask? What is that? It was a name given by Allied troops in the South Pacific during World War II to all female English-speaking radio broadcasters of Japanese propaganda. So that mm. they're just female. Females during that time. All right. Then the last one that I personally love. She assumed another identity. So in November of 2006, the National Geographic Channel aired episode two of the Undiscovered History series about a claim that Earhart survived the world flight, uh, moved to New Jersey, changed her name, remarried, and became Irene Craigmile Bolum. Why the hell would she do that? Just because maybe she was just tired of her life and she wanted to be out of the, out of the public's eye. And she hated her husband or something. She was like, deuces. I um, doubt it. So Irene Bolum, who had been a banker in New York during the 1940s, denied being Earhart, filed a lawsuit requesting $1.5 million in damages and submitted a lengthy affidavit in which she rebuted the claims. So I didn't put that in here, but there's a guy who wrote a book about it. Mm. And it's like, Amelia Earhart lives and claims that she's her. And so apparently, like, she, like, threw a fit and sued. And I'm just like, she doth to protest too much. Like, if you wanted to fight it, I guess. I don't know. I'm trying to think of words, but they're hard. Um, like, you would be like, no, I'm not. I'm going to sue you. And doing all this. Like, she's doing too much to, like, say she's not. Mm-hmm. But a normal person would be like, eh, whatever. Like, cool. Whatever. Like, most people probably would just brush it off. But she's just like, $1.5 million dollars. Obviously, she's not going to win that, or did she? Uh, they settled. It didn't say how much she won, but they settled outside of court. So, subsequently, Bolin's personal life history was thoroughly documented by researchers, eliminating any possibility that she was Earhart. Kevin Richland, a professional criminal forensic 
expert hired by National Geographic studied photographs of both women and cited many measurable facial differences between Earhart and Bolum. Yeah, I was like, I'm pretty sure that's not the same person. So that is all the notes right now. So what do you think happened? I mean, they crashed. I mean, you kind of already like brought it up when you said in 2024 they found a plane 100 miles away mm-hmm. from the island that resembled the Electra. So that's where I'm like, I cannot wait for more information on that. Yeah, I want more information on that. That's kind of badass. Like having it like deep. You should have held that until the very end, not say it in the middle of like one of the theories. It was one of the theories. Well, I mean, that's one of the theories. That's part you said of it. In 2024. Yeah, but that was part. Like, but they that was, did find the plane, though. This isn't like that was wrapped up in that one theory. That was part of it. But they did find the plane, though, right? They found a plane. Yeah, I mean, yeah, but they found a plane that resembled the Electra. Correct. Okay. Oh, I didn't know that was part. I thought you were just saying that because you learned it while you were researching. And you no, just like said it that was, right there. That was part of it because the first theory is that they crashed and sank oh, near the island. Gotcha. So. That's, I mean, that's what I'm going with. It was either that one or they got bombed by the Japanese. But if they got blown um, up, then... The, the ships probably... Because they were so close, they would have heard something. Yeah, they would have heard. Like, so... I don't... I think they just ran out of fuel and and uh, crash landed in the water. Right. All right. So... I mean, but if they could get out of the plane, depending on They were only how, a thousand feet above and it's over water. Depending on jumped. how hard they landed. I mean, they could have survived the crash or at least one of them. It crashed in water a thousand feet above the water. Hey, that's not that far. I mean, usually, I would hope if they're going down, they're going to like start slowing down too. They're not just going to be like... But then... Oh, no. They had a fuel bill. Oh, dude, they can slow down. My question is, like, for that theory, it's like if they did crash near the island, the ships were there. Wouldn't they have seen a plane go down near them? Not a hundred miles away. Hundred miles is pretty far. It is, but I'm just, I don't know if it's like open water and you're just like, oh, there's something falling. But you like, said it was cloudy or something. Cloudy up in they the might have went down on the other side of another island or something. I mean, a hundred miles is fucking far yeah i know i'm just <laughs> that's saying. like driving from here to uh, what's 100 miles <laughs> south of us like going because it's it's 250 to fly to get to dallas so so like the border no no before that it's like maybe that uh that gas station that's right before you get on the road that you mm. take maybe that's about 100 miles i think from us roughly Oh, you know, maybe, um, maybe, uh, the casinos that are over there. Mm, Choctaw? Choctaw. Maybe that's about a hundred miles. That's like closer to the border. No, that's closer. Yeah. Yeah, Somewhere between here and Dallas is a hundred (laughs) miles. But, um, probably like Oklahoma city. That's about a hundred miles. Cause it's like an hour and a half. Hour and a half. Maybe. Roughly. That might be it. Yeah. Well, let's see. I can. You can look it up. From here. But yeah, I believe, I'm hoping that they did find it and then they find, like, they probably the, probably the bodies are not even there anymore because animals would eat it. Not the bones. See, but then there could be another theory where they were so close to the water that they jumped out and then they got eaten by sharks. So there's no bodies in there, then, and if it is the electric that's their plane, then yeah, either they mm-hmm. got out or they just got eaten by something. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, they could have went fucking anywhere if they got out. But they would have been, if there's sharks in that water, they would have been cut up and bleeding. So they right. would have definitely got attacked by sharks. 
or I don't know. And it's like a hundred miles from land. Cause like it's in the middle of nowhere, hundred miles from land. And you wouldn't be able to swim that. I can't swim that. Fuck. I thought this gave me the miles to get to. Oh, I have to click it. Okay. So yeah, it's 98 miles from us. To Oklahoma City. To Oklahoma City. Sweet. So that was close. That's that's about 100 miles there. It's two more miles and then bam, there you so go. So try to think of swimming that far. I couldn't. I, I, I suck at swimming. I don't think someone can swim 100 miles. Maybe like Michael. Like they would have to take a break. Plus if it's like shark infested waters, like fuck no, that could get very far. All right. Well, that's Amelia Earhart and her disappearance. I really hope. I want to find out more about this. This aircraft. I want to see it. I want to see the pictures. I'll probably look it up later. Um, But that is our episode for today. Um, Our next movie is your movie, and I get the topic. Yep. Do you remember what you chose? Yeah, I remember what I chose. Tarzan. Tarzan. It's the new one with Alexander Skarsgård on it. It is in Netflix, so you can watch it on Netflix. Definitely watch it. Do it. Do it. Do it to it. So my topic is one I told you about, and I showed you a picture about. Um, we're going to talk about the death of Tina Watson. Mm-hmm. Do you remember her? No. Oh. <laughs> you like said, mm-hmm, like you knew who she was. I have no idea who she is. Uh, just to kind of give a preface, uh, this is the woman that went scuba diving on their honeymoon, and her husband left her, and there's a picture of a couple below the water taking a picture of the dead girl floating down. We talked about one similar to that. That's that is it. Anyway, so death of Tina. No, we did a a show on it. Unsolved, I think, it was one of the unsolved mysteries. Yeah, but it was not a full focus mm. on that. So we're going to talk about Tina Watson. Um, well, that's our show, folks. We hope we gave you a reason to stay in for the night. And until next time, peeps. Peace out.